Hey gang, this is Mike. Uh, this is a film photography project. It's the internet radio show for people who love traditional film photography. This is a special show, and this show is Matt's sort of like a travel diary mm-hmm. of a workshop he did with Alan Ross. Yeah, so um, just a little background. The workshop was from back in August, but uh, this dates back uh, probably even more than a year. There was a, a young a young gentleman, uh, Mr. Uh, Christopher Johnson, who I met at Photostock quite a few years back, um, and he had uh, won an opportunity to have a one-on-one workshop with uh, Mr. Alan Ross, who I hadn't heard of until uh, Christopher started posting about it. And it was just a great opportunity that he had to go uh, learn from a gentleman who was Ansel Adams' uh, one-on-one assistant for years and is one of the only folks that can still print from Adams' collection. It was He had posted nothing but you know just gleaming you know reviews of, of this one-on-one experience, and I learned more about it. And I just threw my, my hat in the ring for 2015. It was just a little 200-word essay. You know why I why you think you could learn something from him, or you know like why I should uh, why should why why me kind of thing. So why me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I I gave it my best shot, and uh, to my to my surprise, I, I got picked this year. Wow! For it, so that was that was fun, uh, and it was a three day workshop out in Santa Fe. Um, I'm sorry, Alan, if you're listening. It took so long to get all this stuff together, but uh, tons of information. Just it, it, Probably the the most condensely packed three days of my life uh, out in Santa Fe. So I uh, learned a ton of stuff. You're going to hear all about it in gross detail. I brought some uh, some prints, some working example of some of the stuff we, we worked on. But it was mostly Silver Gelatin based because that's where I, I know I'm the weakest. Uh, the actual printing side of things is where... I don't have, uh, well, didn't have much experience prior to this, and uh, it's definitely where I can see I'm going to need the most work and where a lot of the expression comes from, too, out of the final print. So uh, here it is. Awesome. Here we go. Hey, folks. Matt Marash here. I'm here to bring you a very special presentation. This is my on-the-road audio diary of my workshop with Mr. Alan Ross. So I just rolled in to Santa Fe here. It's about 6 p.m. night before the uh, the workshop starting. Going to be in about 15 hours now. Beautiful weather. It's 90s, 80s. I think it's fading fast. It's going to be low 60s tonight. Gorgeous weather. Really dry out here. Uh, just real quick tip, I was unpacking my gear. Uh, if you're ever traveling with large format, uh, pad, pad, and pad your glass, especially your ground glass, as much you can, as much as you can. Um, I had some of my checked luggage taken apart by TSA, and they managed to uh, repackage, and that resulted in breakage of uh, my standard and my pack-up ground glass. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I've also got some film to load, and looks like I don't have any windows here. So I'm going to be able to load that in the room. Don't know what I'm going to do about the camera. Guess we'll figure that out uh, tomorrow. See you guys bright and early. Wow, um, a lot has happened between last night kind of freaking out and uh the me this evening what a first day completely jam-packed 
full of stuff to do. So on top of Mr. Alan Ross being the nicest, most accommodating guy I've ever met in my life, um, pretty much any issue I had going into this uh, was solved right up front. So went in, we kind of talked over, hey, what do we want to get done here? You know, we, we covered a little bit in email back and forth, but we really kind of wanted to hone in, you know, what, what do I want out of this workshop? What do I need to work on? We went right into the darkroom talked about things uh, things I'm doing things he'd like to definitely like to show me and then based on just our little conversation where where things would go so it's very very catered one-on-one workshop and I can say I've already learned enough today to justify paying for a workshop uh, with him uh, the experience he has is just massive I've learned more little tips and tricks about large format in this one day than I've learned my entire time shooting so far. It's He's just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we actually went out shooting, um, but as you might recall from yesterday's account, how the heck did we go shooting? Well, while I was uh, loading up some more film in the darkroom, I mentioned to him what happened uh, with the TSA breakage, and he kind of laughed because he knows that pretty much always happens, and he said, oh, I'll be right back. Goes into his garage where he has a full woodworking shop, takes a piece of plexi, and custom makes me and grounds a piece of plexi ground glass which by the way folks is better than the ground glass i had before he even cut grid lines into it the the man's amazing um i couldn't thank him enough for that and just take me out and shooting and uh, just giving me all these little little pointers and i can't ex- uh, express enough it's the little things that really uh, make the process and kind of drive home uh, the expertise and just these things that you pick up after doing it hundreds, thousands, if not you know tens of thousands of times, that it picks up and makes it that more efficient and that just uh, that much more expressive when you take the photo. So uh, we did all that. I got to tour a fantastic gallery, which I could say was a who's who of photographers I have ever learned about. If you are ever in the Santa Fe area, I recommend checking out the Andrew Smith Gallery. Um, They pride themselves on hosting masterpieces of photography. I've never seen so many Ansel Adams original prints in the flesh of such high caliber quality. Not to mention Ed Weston, John Sexton, Annie Leibowitz. I saw some Steichen. I saw half a dozen William Henry Fox Talbot prints. I saw just some amazing things, was able to put my hands on some uh, amazing pieces of art that I probably shouldn't have been allowed to. That's uh, It was an amazing opportunity just to go there and uh, meet and greet with some very, very uh, knowledgeable photographic curators there and from around Santa Fe. So to say day one has been a treat is a huge understatement. I can't imagine what the next two days will bring. Uh, if you guys take anything away from this whatsoever, it's if you're looking up to someone and someone's work, take a workshop with them. It's worth every penny of it, especially if you already know what you want out of it, what you're looking to do. Have a realistic expectation going in, and if the person is worth their worth their weight in it, you're going to be blown away. Yeah, I'll check back in tomorrow with uh, with what's happened from Saturday. We'll see you guys then.
so just a little side note about uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's breathtakingly gorgeous. I had an idea from things I'd seen um, and some locations I'd seen even uh, this afternoon uh, touring with Mr. Ross, but it's uh, pretty amazing. Breathtaking scenes uh, I didn't think could be easy to come by, but uh, driving along, especially the uh, the, San the National Forest just north of Santa Fe, uh, it's, it's incredible. Saw where a couple of Ansel Adams classic photographs were taken, and right up the road I uh, was able to grab a few of my own shots, and hopefully I'll be able to post those sooner than rather than later, but I think uh, as of this recording I'm a good hundred sheets or so behind, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I can see uh, see what all the hype's about with photographers in the American West. Hey, so these are just a few more notes from day one of my workshop with Mr. Alan Ross. We learned about some pretty interesting things today. Lots of small tips and tricks for large format. But one thing I was most fascinated by is Alan is seemingly able to find any negative he's ever made within about five minutes. Not only does he have all the negatives at home and a complete you know, 21st century backup solution readily available, his filing system is spectacular. He uses a dedicated filing program and has a filing protocol that allows him to easily query this database which he can access from home or remotely and have himself or somebody who's looking for it uh, find a negative at will. He can find them by format, date, location, style. Yes, it's a little bit of work up front, but infinitely better than not being able to find your prized you know, negatives or images when the time comes. So I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on that when I do my one-on-one -on -one interview with him, but his organization is definitely on par with his printing skill. So something to really keep in mind for the folks out there. Also, his scanner of choice at home for proofing and checking density, Epson V700. If it's good enough for Alan, it's good enough for me. Done with day two. Today was a very darkroom heavy day. Very, very intensive in the darkroom workshopping. We started by evaluating some negatives, surprisingly, uh, on the Epson V700. We scanned them as positives. Just wanted to see what information was there, what we might need to do, and maybe what we might need to do later uh, as far as dodging, burning, masking, etc. Immediately went to some proof prints. I learned about some very in-depth kind of masking. It's a selective masking that uh, Mr. Ross has been working on since the early 90s. It's a very intriguing and creative way of masking a negative, specifically a large format, 4x5, 5x7, 8x10 negative, and working with it very simplistically. He started out by on top of the uh, the, the plate, the glass plate sandwich that holds your negative, placing an opal or frosted piece of uh, glass or lexin on top of the negative, and then between that opal and the diffusion sources was for a cool light head, or now he uses LED light sources, have a mask, and that mask is created by taking a piece of mylar or something like, like a tracing paper and just physically masking over it with pencil work. Whether it be a grayscale uh, gray pencil to match densities of a negative or to use colored pencils 
to either additively or subtractively take color from a variable contrast head. We were using standard um, Ilford multigrade classic papers. Uh, we're going to be toning the prints in selenium, and uh, a lot of the, the steps there were great little tips and tricks along the way. Alan has a splendid darkroom outfitted beyond compare. It is thoroughly calibrated and is a great mix. I would, I would say it's a great 21st century darkroom. He uses a lot of modern technology to incorporate things and keep things calibrated. When it really comes down to the print, like actually working on the print, it's not too technical. And that's what I found really most intriguing about his selective masking process. It was something I could understand or just about anybody could understand with five minutes in the darkroom. It's fun to do and it makes the process not only fun but repeatable. And repeatable is such a huge thing when you're working with so many potential variables, especially when doing traditional silver gelatin printing. Um, so again, day two was a lot, a lot, a lot of learning in the darkroom, very, um, very fine details here and there, enough to keep me going and trying in the darkroom for years, I'm sure. One of the most important takeaways, well, I'll give you a couple takeaways from today. The biggest one, though, is you can't work any information that wasn't on that negative to begin with. When in doubt, just give it more exposure. If you don't have that information, especially in the shadows on that negative, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do. Even in scanning at a very high, high, high light density, you might get signal noise coming through, but you can always print that down in the traditional black and white darkroom. Uh, another good takeaway for if you're printing with way too much contrast, uh, Alan gave, left me with a fantastic Ansel Adams phrase, it's hard to follow up a brass band with a string quartet. And that's just a way of saying if you have something that is such an intense contrast range, it's, it's hard to kind of follow that up with something a little bit flatter. And you'll always be chasing something you can't attain, even if it was just a mistake. So that was kind of cool. Control, control, control. We were in a temper, uh, temperature variable environment, but we were using um, some 21st century technology, uh, a thermometer probe hooked up to a computer which was acting as our timer and it was a compensating timer based on the temperature so everything was calibrated around 68 degrees Fahrenheit and while our developer and our ambient temperature may have fluctuated our processing times remained relatively consistent during during so so uh, consistency and make sure you have that information on the negative or your SOL so that was it for today uh, we're gonna get back to some more printing and maybe a little more large format technique tomorrow but I can't wait to see how the prints turn out and how we wrap things up we'll see you then this is just a personal note about something I learned today the chipped corners on a ground glass are for viewing image circle or loss thereof. If you look through the far chip on any of the corners after movements are applied, not wide open but stop down to working aperture, if you cannot see the full iris of the lens while looking through the back of that ground glass, you do not have coverage. That is insanely helpful, stupidly simple, and I plan to be repeating it for a long, long time. Day three of a workshop with the wonderful Mr. Alan Ross, and I've got him here uh, just to do a quick little interview for you guys. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity, Alan, and uh, welcome to the podcast. 
Oh, it's nice to be here. I've been having a lot of fun the last couple of days. Yeah, this has been uh, truly great, but we're going to get into that in a second. But for uh, for the rest of our listeners out there, just who the heck is Alan Ross? <laughs> well, I'm probably best known as having been Ansel Adams' assistant, photographic assistant. Uh, that was back in the 1970s, 1974 through 1979. During the course of that time, I worked with him in the darkroom and in the field. Um, my background before that is I was worked in an advertising studio in San Francisco, and before that I was a college student. Oh my goodness, so you've been at this quite a long time. How long have you been into photography? I think I started in 1969 or so was my first sort of professional thing. I fiddled with it. I think I developed my first roll of film when I was in eighth grade. So you had a bit of a head start. Okay. A little bit of it, yeah. Wow. Just, just so the rest of our folks can get some context here, um, how did you end up in the amazing position to be uh, Ansel Adams' assistant. Well, it's like a lot of things in life for for many people. It's a little uh, little chutzpah, a little being in the right place at the right time, uh, a little knowing the right person, a uh, little bit of talent, just all, all the things happening together. When I was at uh, University of California at Berkeley, I was in the design department there, and we had a department chairman who uh, named William Garnett, who had three Guggenheim grants for his aerial photography. He also taught classes there and kind of took me under his wing. He introduced me to a photographer in San Francisco, who I wound up coincidentally working for. Uh, just happened to hear that he was looking for an assistant, and I became studio assistant in a high-end advertising studio in San Francisco for three years. And that photographer had been a friend of Ansel Adams, so I got to meet Ansel once via that connection, but then my guy in San Francisco retired and I was out of a job. I asked the road Ansel and asked him if he needed an assistant, and he said no, he didn't. He had a fine assistant at the time in the name of Ted Orland, but he'd be delighted to have me help out with the workshops they were doing in Yosemite. And so I did that on and off for the next year or so, and I was running the darkroom for a workshop in 1974, and Ansel asked me if he, uh, if I'd be interested in moving to Carmel and working for him full-time. So I thought about that for a microsecond or two, and a few weeks later, I was moving to Carmel. Oh, my gosh. I just banged a Zoom. That's... Uh... That's pretty spectacular. Working for uh, working for Ansel, was this assistant, you know, day and night kind of thing? Camera work, darkroom work? Can you give us kind of an overview? Well, Ansel hired me. First of all, Ansel had no concept of a day off. Um, <laughs> it just was at it all the time. And uh, Ted worked uh, Monday through Friday, but Ansel wanted an assistant on hand for the weekend. So I was hired to work Friday through Monday. Ansel was Im- immensely hardworking, but a wonderful, wonderful person to be around. Just a a real eye-opener to to be in that environment. After I'd been there about six months or, or maybe even less, uh, Ted decided to go off on his own, and I was left as Ansel's sole assistant. Ansel kept it that way. I was assistant number one. My job was everything photographic, from working in the field, working in the darkroom. Uh, Ansel always made his own prints, but I was in there at the sink developing prints that he had just exposed while we'd be at the enlarger exposing more, so we worked together in the darkroom. I like to think I was Ansel's last field assistant. In 1976, uh, he was working on his Portfolio 7, his final portfolio, and he wanted to include an original camera Polaroid in that in that portfolio. So we spent several months uh, driving all around California uh, looking for wonderful things to photograph. So it was you know, instead of uh, going out doing you know testing film or anything like that, we were out looking for art, and that was a wonderful experience. 
Very cool. Aside from being uh, Ansel's assistant and getting used to helping him out in the darkroom and everything, how did that shape uh, the work that you're currently doing today? Well, it gave me an introduction to teaching, for one thing. It's something that I I like very much to do. Uh, Ansel felt very committed to sharing his his knowledge and, and love of photography, and that kind of rubbed off on me, and I really like it. Ansel was very open as part of his his temperament. Uh, he knew he was imp- an important figure, but it never went to his head. Uh, he always kept himself listed in the phone book. Uh, anybody visiting Carmel could look him up and give him a call, and would you sign my book? Sure, come on out. Uh, so that was a real wonderful uh, thing that I picked up from Ansel. Uh, another thing that was very moving that I've written about is that when I first started working there, uh, he had just had some major remodeling done, and he had boxes of prints out in the carport and in the living room and all over the place. And my job as assistant number two was to put all that stuff in some sort semblance of order. And in going through boxes and boxes of prints, uh, I was kind of relieved and surprised to, to see the, how many pretty ordinary photographs Ansel had made in the course of his career. That, in effect, uh, didn't bother him a whit. The fact that he had tried to make a photograph to make something work was enough for him, and if it didn't pan out the way he was maybe thinking at the time, it was a good exercise. Uh, He started out as a musician, in life as a musician. He would just practice, chalk that up as playing scales. Uh, He just uh, learned from from every failure. He's been known as a, as a fanatic technician, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Testing a roll of film for Ansel was no different than playing scales. It was just making sure that when you got to the keyboard, you hit the right notes. This is day three of a three-day, I would say intensive might not even be enough of a word to describe how in-depth uh, this, this whole week, long weekend has gone, but uh, I would say a very darkroom-based workshop. Um, is this something that uh, is typically offered? Uh, actually, these private workshops, the one-on-ones, have become sort of a specialty for me. I, I do more of these than I do group workshops. I love group workshops because everybody brings something different to the party, but also with a one-on-one workshop, I can work with one person's uh, abilities and interests and kind of focus on, on what they need to know or would like to know or things that I think they should know better. Definitely. So in in my case, uh, for the folks at home, that was just dipping our toe into some field work a little bit, seeing what that looks like one-on-one, lots of great tips and tricks technique-wise and just things I need to check, double-check, and maybe track again (laughs) before I take the picture, and then a lot on the uh, traditional black-and-white printing side of things. Yeah, uh, in this particular workshop, uh, Matt is using it at home, likes to use a Pyro developer, which I don't have here. So processing film was not really an option at this workshop. And also, uh, the session was limited to three days. And so that made it uh, more necessary to, to focus on one aspect. And so we spent a lot of most of our, our energies uh, concentrating on printing techniques. Uh, one printing technique in particular that we covered that was astounding to me in its in its uh, visual ease, but its complexity and what it does to the print. 
uh, is a technique you've been working on since I was a baby. Uh, selective masking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'll back up a little oh, bit. Sure. Part of why uh, when I was at Ansel's, uh, Ansel in 1958 started a series of photographs he called his Yosemite Special Edition prints. And they were a, selected, uh, a selection of photographs of Yosemite that would be printed in fair quantities, uh, usually by an assistant, and offered at a very reasonable price for the family business, the Ansel Adams Gallery in Yosemite. After Ted left Ansel's employ, that job fell to me. As it happened, Ansel liked the way I was printing his negatives well enough that when I chose to leave in 1979 and open my own advertising studio in San Francisco, Ansel asked me if I would continue to make the special edition prints. So I was, for the next five years, even though I wasn't working full-time for Ansel, I was commuting down to Carmel on a monthly basis at least and printing in his darkroom because obviously he needed his negatives there. Anyway, I've been printing those negatives now for over 40 years. Years. So I've had a lot of practice in, uh, in making quantities of prints, and uh, one of the things I wanted to do is tighten up my control of dodging and burning. So I kind of invented a, uh, a method of modifying the, am the amount and kind of light that strikes the negative. If I want to make a, a rock lighter or darker, I can make that one rock lighter or darker and in a way that it's consistent from print to print. Yeah, it's uh, folks, it's one thing to talk about it, but another thing to just uh, take a look at it. We're going to have some pictures in the show notes of what one of these masks looks like, but it, I don't know, it at first first glance, it looks like something that might be hanging on a fridge that's been done by a kindergartner. Uh, well, it's it, it's very personal. Uh, it, in its simplistic form, I have a diffuser over the negative, and on top of that is a piece of, of frosted mylar that you can draw on. If I want to lighten a rock or some part of the image, I can just take a pencil and add a little density onto that mylar, and that's the same as dodging uh, that area. It'll make the rock lighter. Conversely, if I wanted to darken a little, uh, a little area, I could cut a hole in the mylar, and that would let a little extra light through. That's a simplistic thing, but I call the process selective masking because in the, the early part of the, of the 2000s, uh, in particular, there was a technique called unsharp masking that was very popular and still is with a lot of workers. Uh, but that's a, um, a photometric masking where you, uh, you make a mask that's dependent on the inherent densities of a negative. You, it's exposed in contact. Whereas my masking technique has nothing to do with that, that approach. It's just a matter of of cementing personal preferences in dodging and burning. And even now with variable contrast papers, differences in contrast from one part of a print to another. And specifically for uh, the selective masking that you've been working on, it's most effective when used with a diffusion light source like a uh, like a cool light head or LEDs like we were using? Yeah, uh, it needs to be a diffusion light head. Uh, the efficiency of a condenser enlarger is based on uh, having very highly directional rays, and if you put a diffuser under a under a condenser head, which is the diffuser is necessary for masking, you lose maybe seven seven stops of speed, and it's and also have some uh, evenness problems. But any light source that's diffusion, whether it's old-fashioned diffusion, LED, color head, uh, any any light source that's diffuse will work fine. It also works great for contact printing. Well, one of the the 
the best virtues of selective masking is a if you have to make a lot of prints from one negative every print is going to be the same uh virtually the same particularly if you use entire you know uh, if the entire printing process is using masking rather than any handheld dodging or burning, uh, you can carry to its nth degree, you can turn a very complex printing uh, task into a straight print. It's just a button push. And as uh, you had shown me earlier in the weekend, some of the printing notes on some of Ansel's older negatives are just crazy there's six whole steps and those are littered with burn here dodge here different shapes and sizes and you can now essentially compress this down to the selective mask plus just a little bit of hand dodging and burning correct that's wow so uh, selective masking folks it's a very powerful technique it's uh it's different from pretty much every other technique i've seen out there it's it just it's it makes sense to uh, I think to a lot of visual people it's it's very easy to kind of digest and once you see it in action and not have to do any monkeying around in front of that lens and you just put it in the tray and it works it's a, it's a great technique okay Alan so for the folks at home uh, that want to see some more of your work maybe pick up some of that work or hit you up for a workshop themselves can you tell us a little bit about where we can go to see all that stuff uh yes i have a website it's uh www.alanrossphotography.com it's a-l-a-n-r-o-s-s photography if you go to alan ross photographer you're getting a portrait studio in houston very different then. and there they can find uh just a sampling of your work and they can actually purchase it right off the site too uh, you can see a pretty broad example of my work. I have a page talking about my experience with Ansel Adams. I have another page talking about workshops that I have scheduled. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one workshops that I do here in Santa Fe uh, range from one to five days. Five-day workshops are particularly good uh, because I can typically go all the way through the photographic process by starting out on, on a Monday and going through some basic technical issues, then go out and photograph for a day or so, process the film, and then spend a couple of days in the darkroom printing negatives that have just been made, and then we finish up with uh, presentation issues. Uh, so that's the the one-on-ones are kind of a specialty for me. I do uh, group workshops, and I do mark those down in uh, in my website as well. And uh, I do usually uh, two workshops for the Ansel Adams Gallery in Yosemite, usually one in May and one in October. Uh, the one in this October is full. The one in next May is already full. Uh, there's still slots available in October 216. Doing a workshop in Carmel for the Carmel Visual Arts Center. I uh, don't know their website offhand, but uh, you can check the, them online. I do manufacture uh, some masking equipment and tools that are available on my, my store, as well as uh, I have a line of, uh, of inexpensive inkjet prints that I, uh, I like to offer. My fine prints are limited edition, uh, with the exception of three images in editions of 100. Uh, three of them are 150, and they're almost full uh, right now. But uh, you know, sometimes it's nice. I like people to enjoy my work, so I've got this series of eighty-dollar eight by ten prints. They're not. I can't sign them. Most of, most of my images are available as these, and they're archivally uh, they're archival inkjet prints, pigment prints, and over matted, and that's a nice offering as well. Very good. So yeah, uh, folks, head on over to Alan's website, check that stuff out. Uh, we're going to have a link to all that stuff in the show notes so alan one thing i found really interesting about my time here aside from all the outstanding prints even the ansel adams 
prints signed over to you that were just hanging in the restroom because I guess there's no more room for amazing art. Uh, on top of that, you're quite the hybrid shooter. Uh, yeah, I I regard all ki- kinds of cameras as tools, and uh, you know, one kind of tool will do something that another kind of tool won't. And I just I think digital imaging is wonderful. I have. Uh, have a nice Canon 5D that uh, Mark II that I like a lot. Uh, I don't particularly feel the need to stay at the at the pinnacle or the peak of uh, what's going on every moment in uh, in technology. My view cameras uh, have at times been 30 years old, and my lenses uh, equally old, but uh, or lo- older. But if if it serves the purpose, then that's all I need. I have a, a little comment that, I mean, you can drive a screw with a hammer, but it might not be the best approach to the problem. Uh, you can do things digitally that I can't do with film, and I can do things with film that are currently not possible uh, with digital technology. So I'd like to use uh, digital techniques when when it's appropriate. Uh, I've found since I've been working digitally, I have a little Leica as well as the Canon, and uh, it's been very liberating. It's kind of nice to have uh, a wonderful piece of equipment that I can carry around with me, um, and it's a lot quicker and easier to use than my, my large format equipment. Definitely. I'm sure that's only getting heavier by the year. So. Yeah, my eight by ten does get bigger and heavier every every day. So I'm uh, I'm more and more uh, working with the four by five. That's all right. As long as you're out there shooting, that's all that matters. Uh, so coming back to the kind of the hybrid use of equipment, um, particularly with the selective masking uh, during this workshop, not only were we using digital scanning to kind of proof things in. Uh, scanning the negative was a very important part of creating some selective masks for uh, for some of the images uh, that we printed for my negatives, which I found really really cool. Well, uh, yes, you can. I mean, the basic part of selective masking is just using a little pencil or marker on a piece of mylar to to dodge areas. But uh, I figured out once I was using Photoshop for a while. And, you know, I'm a photographer. I, I don't know how a photographer cannot use Photoshop these <laughs> days. I mean, it's um, I enjoy the technology anyway. And so it occurred to me that I could use Photoshop to create uh, graduated neutral density masks that I could use for sky burns. Uh, now with variable contrast papers, I can use different colors, some magenta and yellow at different parts of a, of a transparency mask. I just use inkjet transparency material from Office Depot or someplace like that uh, for overhead projections. So I can uh, print with colors and, and neutral densities on a piece of uh, transparency film and modify dodging and burning, you know, with smooth graduated burns. I can change the color of an area to change the contrast in a, in a variable contrast print. Uh, so it's, it's very liberating. It's, it's, you, know, you, can, you can dodge and burn in 20 or 30 places at once. Yeah, the, the equivalent of time and, and prints saved. Test prints, test strips, it's crazy. Some of the images that uh, we worked on were something that, you know, I certainly didn't do a straight scan or a, sca- a straight print of, nor would I, but to get to where we would have got needed to go with traditional methods, it would have taken quite a few more prints. Yeah, and I also like to add that I, I'm 
absolutely certain that Ansel Adams would have loved the digital world. Uh, Ansel loved science. Uh, it, it just He was passionate about technology, and he would have embraced it, um, I'm sure, completely. I bet he would use uh, the digital uh, technology, probably mostly for portraiture and some detail work. Uh, if it came down to another Moonrise Hernandez, you can bet it would be the big film camera coming out. <laughs> Very good. And for those of us uh, out there that like to hear the, the tech kind of stuff, what were we uh, working on uh, paper-wise, and where do you work uh, when you are working with film, or what are you working with? Uh, I'm working mostly now with uh, with Delta 100 and uh, mostly with Ilford products these days. Um, I, for years, used the T-Max films, and they're absolutely beautiful. But in this day and age, I, you know, Ilford has made such a commitment to, uh, to silver imaging that I kind of feel like uh, supporting that, that effort. I've been using their uh, multigrade uh, paper for, oh, 30 years anyway for the Ansel Adams Special Edition prints. And it's been extremely consistent. Right now it's the only, only manufacturer that lets me buy a 250-sheet box of paper. Uh, for that printing, and so there's a lot of practical reasons I like it. But I'm using their multigrade developer, I'm using their toner and fixers. So that's uh, that's the the materials I use. I'm using the uh, multigrade classic right now. I tend to like the more neutral tone papers than the warm tone, but I have very have friends that that love the warm tone paper as well. So it's all a matter of personal choice. So we talked on and off about this, but one of the most amazing things I noticed in both the darkroom and in the computer room where we are now with all the prints and mounting and everything, just how meticulously organized everything is and easy to find for such a huge body of not only your own work, but Ansel Adams' work. Well, I'm pretty well organized in terms of my negatives. I've got those, all those in the <laughs> database, but uh, we just spent about 15 minutes trying to find a, bo a print, and <laughs> it went through three boxes and couldn't find it. Fair enough. But as, uh, as far as the negative organization, you have a very, very detailed system for that? Yes, I've been using uh, FileMaker Pro for uh, filing my negatives uh, for a long time, 20 years anyway. Uh, before that, I, I bought my first computer, actually, so I could file my negatives. I started in 1986 with a, a Mac Plus and Microsoft Works and used their database, but when that wasn't available anymore, I switched over to FileMaker. And uh, it's great. I have everything filed according you know, chronologically, but if I want to find uh, every horizontal landscape I've done in a Utah National Park, I can. it takes me about 10 or 15 seconds to find everything. I can do that way, as opposed to Ansel Adams' filing system that was just impossible. He could have uh, five different photographs made at the same time, filed in five different places because they had slightly different categories he wanted to put them in. Sometimes it would take him almost the better part of a day to find a negative. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, that, that's a great tip for the film shooters out there. Speaking of tips, uh, do you have any uh, words of wisdom for uh, for our film shooters out there, folks that are new to film or looking to you know dip their toe into it a little bit? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, the only thing that I feel is absolute about photography is exposure. It takes a certain amount of energy to rattle the molecules, either in a piece of film or on a sensor in a digital camera. Uh, with digital and with color transparency film, it also, there's an overload limit. If you overexpose something, it just turns white. It's, it's gone. Uh, so those are pretty absolute. Everything else is like cooking. Uh, when is your dinner done? 
you know, it might be different for you than for your best friend or, uh, or, or anyone else. So it's personal preference. What developer do you use? That's up to you. How long you develop it? That's up to you. But in terms of exposure, if you're out, particularly with black and white negative film, more is always better than not enough. If you're not sure how much exposure to give it, don't, the only, the one thing you can't fix after the fact is underexposure. If it isn't on the film, you can't print it. If you've got, if you've overexposed, you can reduce the negative. You can go to a longer print time. There's all kinds of things you can do for too much. But if you don't give enough exposure to get shadow detail onto the film, that's that's the end of it. There's nothing there. So more is better than not enough. Excellent. Well, Alan, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, sit down with us and, and just give us a, a brief overview of what we were doing this weekend and uh, your life in general. Uh, it was great being here. You teach one hell of a workshop. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure for me. Hey folks, Matt Brosh here, checking in for the last time on this little road trip, wrapping up day three, back at the hotel now. Lots of information. Lots, lots, lots of information to take in. This was a pretty intensive three-day workshop, 24 hours with a black and white printing master is, I would say, the most uh, compressed set of information that I've ever worked with. Today was another uh, another big darkroom day. We actually worked only on one print all day. We did some very intensive uh, masking, uh, both, uh, both physical and digital, and we also did a lot of handwork dodging and burning, so I made actually two final prints from my negative today. It was a negative that scans and prints very flat, uh, but needs quite a few different uh, bits of contrast in the scene to kind of make things really pop. Uh, I had a digital rendition of the file, which was okay, but goodness, being able to selectively mask that thing down into a straight print is really something. Uh, it was surprising enough to me that I just actually uploaded a small video to, to YouTube kind of demonstrating uh, while I was in the darkroom printing it what that, you know, what that even looks like, but uh, it's pretty amazing being able to take a, a bunch of complicated processes and literally within six pieces of 11 by 14 paper, I had four working prints and two final prints. Oh, and there was a test strip, so I guess that was seven sheets of paper, but still an insanely low number of sheets of paper of good 11 by 14 fiber paper. I was able to get a good working print. Um, if anything, today really cemented in something Alan's kind of been hinting at the entire time. The negative really is just the starting point. It's just the information. Uh, getting getting to the point where we have um, a negative with all the density we need on there, that's, that's all the exposure is for. Exposure is there to get all the information on there, and really with modern working materials, we don't have many excuses. As long as there's, you know, less than geez, 17 stops or something. As long as there's less than that, we shouldn't have to do too much uh, too much nasty stuff to get there. And you can get there. Uh, some other things I learned about today, uh, just rehashing, uh, pre-flashing of uh, black and white papers, films, and uh, flashing uh, for transparency film as well in camera, which was kind of cool to work with. Uh, we talked about mounting and presentation options for finished prints. Um, I got a quick lesson in spotting and retouching, which I just hate spotting, but Alan kind of made it palatable and I might actually give it a try again. And another cool technique, so spotting is for high tones you want to bring down. I learned a little bit about scraping out shadows, so actually 
removing the silver from the the gelatin which was kind of like whoa exacto knife on the print but it actually works really really well kind of looked over some uh some of his and ansel's uh, negatives to see you know what you know what some of these classic images start out as in the negative and really it is it's just it's just a really 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 nice raw file that gives us some information to work from we went very intensive again like i said into digital masking uh digital masking is a very very simple way to work if you're familiar with photoshop layers it's basically creating a bunch of layers and kind of choosing what you want to dodge and burn and how you want to get there you can make it as quick and uh, easy as you want to or you can you know really get a complex uh, dodge and burn setup there but it's just some personal notes um, on tips and tricks from Mr. Alan Ross when we were talking about some of my camera work he had mentioned definitely get a quick release plate on that CNR pan tilt head which is something I'm uh, actively looking for right now so I should have a solution for that pretty soon um, look into gel filters and some sort of apparatus to either tape them on the back or just kind of tension fit them on the back for just more creative control and exposures. I have a red filter, I have a yellow filter, but that's about it. Um, he definitely showed me some instances for, you know, saturated places like New Mexico where it is a good idea to try, you know, maybe a, uh, maybe a really heavy-handed orange filter or even a green filter in some places. So I'm definitely going to get back into that, get a filter pack. Again, I learned what those clipped corners meant on the ground glass if you can can't see the image circle from your stop down working aperture you are clipping your corners so just be aware of that what are some other things leave more headroom and by headroom i mean the bottom of the image a lot of the images were i wouldn't say ruined but i had a lot of compositions in there that he really liked when we were going through my portfolio but that he always wanted a little more room at the bottom of the image so leave a little more breathing room on the negative take a step back there's some areas where i can't take a step back but many of them i could so um definitely some places to revisit in the hawking hills region uh, cedar falls trail just around the bend where there's that uh, one little tree with the yellow leaves uh, revisit that reshoot that with the Schneider 360 or the Schneider 480. Early morning, probably 7 8 o'clock with some dappled light coming through. Pretty easy to replicate. Uh, it'll be much easier to replicate in the fall season where I can get a brighter contrast range. I don't believe I red filtered it, but maybe even try some filtration to get some extreme contrast in there. Perhaps even revisit it with the infrared film, but it would have to be an extremely calm morning. Um, keep going with Talking Hills. Revisit Conkle's Hollow, try to get some more contrast in there. Definitely try uh, masking some of my favorite Conkle's Hollow images. He really liked the ones on the Fuji Acros as well. Um, and keep going with the cemeteries on infrared. He was really impressed with my use of that in the, both Bonaventure, which is in Savannah, and the uh, cemetery in Cleveland, which precedes me at this point. So uh, definitely look into that. Uh, don't be afraid to... Uh, stop down and overexpose a little bit more. A lot of my negatives, he even mentioned, you know, it's pyro, so just keep going with the highlights. I have 17 stops. You can have a zone 8 shadow up to up to zone 14. So six stops. Six stops extra in the highlights I have to work with, so go for it. Unless my meter is maxed out plus three stops for my range, we're good to go. 
use that little card, make uh, carbon copies of that little zone card for the meter, get the darkroom together so we can start applying those other tips. Three hours later. (laughs) We're back. So Matt, now that you're back and you've experienced this. Yeah. 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 What was it like, the whole thing? It was amazing. Um, There was probably the first two months after the workshop where I was just like still, still like dwelling on things, listening to the same audio notes because I made some notes for myself. You probably saw those in what I sent you. Uh, Some like notes for myself as well as just like the recording I did for FPP. It was just such a... Uh, just a roller coaster of information the whole time, and just um, I can't. Th- this kind of segues into why why you take a workshop versus like a class or a photo walk. Mm-hmm. It's it's a completely different experience because it's all about those little those little things you can you can glean from somebody who's right. really who just really knows their stuff. I think the the most beneficial part of any workshop is is just those those little tidbits, those things that someone's been doing f- because they've optimized their workflow over the course of a lifetime that you just didn't even know was an, was an option. Uh, that has made uh, my shooting, cataloging and printing so much more efficient. It's it's crazy. And uh, I'm still very, you know, still this day, g- getting up to the point where I can start doing what I did back in August, almost effortlessly under Alan's tutelage. So it's uh, it's going to be something I'm going to be working on for years and years. But hopefully, I can get up to the point where it's repeatable, like we had it. So um, yeah, you guys want to see some prints? Yeah, yeah. all right. Love cool. it. As as I talk about in the the audio uh, in the audio journal. Um, the main technique that I was learning from Alan is one that he developed as early on as the late 80s, early 90s, and it's a, called selective masking. So it's a, it's a kind of masking for black and white printing, uh, silver gelatin printing, that allows for uh, you to create a, uh, a, layered, a layered mask in a diffusion head and larger to get, quote-unquote, a, sp- a straight print, but that is something that's heavily dodged and burned. So um, Ansel Adams himself, the negative was really just, you know, a really, really, really big raw file from him to work uh, work from. As long as he had the shadow detail and the highlight detail where they were pretty close where they needed to be that he could get it within dodging and burning, that was good enough for him. I took some particularly, I would say, not optimal negatives uh, over to uh, Alan's place. Right. Ones that I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't bring my best. I just brought okay. my most recent that that I knew one would be easy to print and two would be a big challenge because I had no idea what I was going to do with them. And we came out with something that could actually be a straight print after this masking technique. So this is an example of just a frosted uh, sheet of mylar that got created into a mask for for this negative. And it's literally just coloring with colored pencil, green and blue colored pencil. Uh, And there's some that's just, uh, you know, a standard uh, graphite pencil to create density. So we're we're layering this in the enlarger. And this, this negative is by no means a good negative. It's pretty crappy. It was a misty day. Uh, This does not print straight very well. It's not a it's not a nice negative to work with, but this with our layer mask, which is oh I lost the place. Uh, our layer mask here, and then another one that we created digitally with a V seven hundred and a little inkjet printer. This with this on this, we go from uh, this is this is one that I we got with just hand dodging and burning, which is okay. it's like an okay print, but it doesn't have a lot of oomph. We go from that to essentially. A straight print with the masking and it's just crazy the amounts of uh, control you have over it and you can be as the after pops better that's got a yeah. huge amount of pop yeah, and of course if you're doing a series 
or you're doing a run of 10 or 20, if you're hand dodging and burning, they're all different. They're all different. Right. Exactly. This is brilliantly repeatable. And that's how... Um, and these are all pretty much uh, tips and tricks to add on uh, basic darkroom printing techniques. Uh, if folks listening don't know what the heck we're talking about, the Google will assist you dodging and burning darkroom techniques. You'll mm-hmm. find all the stuff online. Oh, yeah. But these are things that, I guess, were there some things that you would never thought of? Like, oh, my God. I didn't even know it was an option. And it was also really cool, and I mentioned this a bunch of times in, you know, in the audio journal, but Alan is such a 21st century darkroom uh, darkroom user i would think oh you know he's older guy ansel adams techniques you know there's probably just some antiquated version of what i'm seeing today no we're using a cold light head that's an array of leds so he's using leds he's using um a compensating timer that's a macbook it's it's software on a macbook and i'm going to talk about that in an upcoming show where to get all that stuff because i'm getting that yeah and we're he really uh developed all of this system because adam's system was a series of these dodge and burn notes which would be you know anywhere from three to 12 steps and these were sets of under the enlarger that you know it really was just this really you know really complicated performance that if uh, somebody else was doing it, it would be a completely different thing. Or if it was, ha- you know, having a, an off day, it could be a different interpretation of that. This offers a crazy amount of consistency. Whereas if I have this information and this mask, you set it and forget it. That's that's all you do. Ron Popeil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's another example. I have another print in here. I have two more prints in here, but I'm going to just jump to this last one because okay. this is a this is another dramatic example. Mm-hmm. Really. Really weird negative. Like this was a negative that, like, even when Alan saw, he's like, "Oh, this is going to be a challenge," but that we were both pleasantly surprised with what we were able to get out of it. Because this was a negative that's a little outside of my creative kind of kind of area. Uh, very, very shallow, shallow depth of field. There's very few things that are in sharp focus. Uh, it was the same misty morning actually that I took that first shot. Um, here's one of the many layer masks that goes onto this where I'm just brightening areas, darkening areas selectively, and then to selectively burn everything, mm-hmm. there's, an, there's a burn mask. Wow. And under okay. that, we have another uh, low-contrast burn mask as well. So we're mm-hmm. doing all, stacking all of these, but then here's my burn notes. Straight print. <laughs> so we can wow. go from... This is the best I could do, hand dodging and burning. Mm-hmm. Too much too much uh, dark, dark in these rocks. Too much bright, brights here. A lot of highlight areas that I can't, that I want to bring down. And this is, there's, uh, it's losing your eye. There's nowhere to go with it. Uh, we went from there. And then we have this, which has a lot more pop to it. Prints straight. Yeah. It keeps the eye focused where it needs to go. This has a lot more life to it. And li- like the only thing that's changing is the layer masks in there exposure time is very very similar developing time is dead on because we're using uh, a usb uh, thermometer probe which is compensating for any temperature changes in the darker it's i mean very scientific but also very simplistic because it's you know we're coloring so whenever i need to make slight changes we didn't change these big masks which we knew was where we wanted it to be I just pencil it in a little bit more, and and it must be just must be something about guys with the last name Ross because this felt very Bob Ross. Like, oh, it's it's fine. Just pe- <laughs> little tree. Yeah, just pencil just pencil in this little tree right here. Like that's what it felt like when uh, when I was there. And it's very easy going, great guy to work with. And the best part about Santa Fe, holy crap! You know how quick fiber prints dry there? Oh, <laughs> one hour. So how oh, many? Wow. How many of? students were in the workshop it is, this was one-on-one oh my wow. gosh fantastic. so um, 
Would you say that any of this um, could be applicable to people shooting smaller negatives? Or is it pretty much limited to a, a larger negative that you um, can do the masking with? No, he was doing masking. Uh, that's why we're, he was using the Epson V700. Um, he's creating masks for as small as 35 in medium format. Now, wow. you have more precise control, obviously, with a better printer and a bigger negative. But you can do the same thing with medium format. He always posts this picture of, um, of O'Keefe and Adams. And it was a medium – it's a Hasselblad negative. And it's a, it's a very, very contrasty one that cannot be printed straight because there's mm. some backlighting and some weird stuff going on. But it's like his perfect example of masking. And, and whenever you see it, it's, it's very heavily masked. And he showed me the mask for it. And it's um, a great example of you can do it with whatever tools you have. And literally the, this little digital mask we created was – I was like, oh, man, he must have the highest end. He does have a high-end Epson. But we shot these out with a $25 Brother – print cymk oh, printer wow. <laughs> like we're not using very high-end stuff I, and of course i thought oh you know this is going to be this is going to be part of the religion everything's done on ilford warm tone this is modern ilford multi-grade classic just the new stuff these ones aren't even toned but he does selenium tone available affordable stuff but just really like nuts and bolts to the nth level that's what it kind of felt like so wow. uh, it was really good stuff mm. this this has helped me out in even my my scanning workflow like i i really was scared of playing around with scans too much with contrast and and i really barely ever dodge and burn even though i have the ability to digitally very easily i hardly ever do but now it's like okay Hmm. i'm if i'm gonna do it in the dark room i can probably do it here and i use uh lauren has a tablet screen so now i treat the tablet screen like i do with the layer masks and it's a very similar thing so i'm I'm, now i'm less afraid to do that after the workshop where it's like all we were doing was playing with a negative that didn't look like it was salvageable. So that's very cool. Yeah, pretty but, awesome. Man. But yeah, you yeah. can do it with any as long as um, this technique is applicable to any uh, diffusion source. The sharper the source, so condenser heads or any of those really point source units, uh, this technique just can't be done because there's too many layers. You're right. going to get softening mm-hmm. in the negative. But if you're already working with a diffusion source, which apparently LEDs are great for that, you can uh, you can make it work. And not so much for alt process, but alt process has its own digital kind of workarounds where they can apply curves and a, a digital negative. They do have to have a higher res digital negative if they're going to print from it, but... Uh, this is mostly going to be stuff that's going to get me. This has this has re-inspired me into silver gelatin printing because I, prior to this, I could never get a, a you know, let alone a straight print or repeatable print, but something that had a lot of pop to it. So it's interesting because I knew about creating masks for unsharp masks using the computer and, and yeah. overlaying stuff. But I never had any idea you could actually do the same thing this way. What you've described, yeah. And this is all for contrast control, and it's it's the it's not the opposite of an unsharp mask, but it's it's a mask that I'm more willing to use than an because un, unsharp mask has to be very precise right. and very fine dot pattern. This is very. I mean, it looks like it's coloring. You know, it's very loose, and but. That's why it seems I'm more apt to do this because it's there's some kind of fun creative control. I actually feel like I'm you know doing something relevant to the uh, to the image. So yeah, got a lot out of it. Cool. And can uh, anyone take an Alan Ross workshop? They they certainly can. Uh, They can check out um, I believe it's Alan Ross Photography or AlanRossPhotographer.com. He does one on ones 
all the time. I mean, this a lot of his bread and butter is education. He goes all around the world doing darkroom. He does. He will take film and digital students. He just wants to teach people about you know nut, really nuts and bolts photography, really getting it in in uh, in camera as best as you can, as well as outputting a good print, whether it's right. film or digital. So no, he's very open. Uh, probably the most the the oldest school shooter that does it 21st century that I've ever seen. So that, that was really cool. He really uh, pays forward the Adams mentality of embracing future tech, you know, whatever the newest technology is, integrating it into the workflow however he can. So right. it's really cool to see. His well, website's very attractive, too. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Is it uh, Alan Ross Photography? Yeah, Alan okay. Ross Photography, yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. Yeah, th- thank you, Alan, for offering this. And it, he does this every year. Cool. So, you know, FPP listeners that are really, you know, interested in this, you will have to, you know, pay your own way to get out to San, you know, Santa Fe or whatever the location is, but it is uh it is worth it. If I had to pay for the workshop, I would have paid for two workshops to get. I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of information I got out of it. So, and the more specific this is, applies to any workshop, the more specific you are with the instructor of it, the more you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't tell them what you what you do and don't know up front, they're just you know you're spitballing for the first half of it. This uh, with this one, me and Alan had a great back and forth via email. You know, what are you good at? What aren't you good at? How long do we have? That kind of thing. So uh, he can be as short as one day and as long as five days. So whatever you need to get it done, which is really cool. Very good. Thank you. opportunity. Yeah. Uh, We'll be back um, in less than two weeks. This was our special edition FPP. Uh, Matt on the road. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Alan Ross. And uh, thank you out there for listening. We'll be back very soon. Right, kitty cat?